Hey friends, it's Ashley. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about the Patreon, which I hate talking about and I feel like I want to crawl into my sweater, even bringing it up, but it's an important way that this podcast stays alive. Through big and small donations from listeners, we're able to bring you interesting and relevant stories about the coffee world. You can donate anywhere from a dollar a month to $25, and your donations are what keep this whole project going. We're going to be talking about the Patreon a little bit more in the coming weeks. So if you can, please consider donating by going to patreon.com slash If you've benefited at all from this show, especially if you're in a position of power, I urge you to consider making a donation. Okay, now on to the show. Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. One of the best times I've ever had in my coffee career was at an event where I played a coffee version of Family Feud. I was on a team with former guest of the show, Alicia Adams and Erica Escalante, and we played this silly game on stage with folks like cheering us on and like just everybody around us having a good time. Thinking about community events for an industry is an interesting challenge. Balancing the tone between what's useful or educational uh, with balancing fun and excitement is difficult. And it's no surprise that the team at the Barista League thinks a lot about how to put on a dynamic event that touches on both ends of that spectrum. The Barista League is a series of coffee competitions, usually a handful a year, and they travel across the globe and provide enriching, community-driven events that are fun for everybody, for those who are competing and for those who are just hanging out. If you go to a Barista League party, it can feel wonderfully chaotic and loose, which can hide just how much work goes into an event that feels effortlessly fun. My guest today is Angela Ferrara, one of the folks who puts together Barista League events. Although these events are coffee-specific, the ideas that Angela touches on are kind of universal to any industry looking to create tools for their community. In this episode, Angela talks about how she got involved in the Barista League, she was a competitor herself, and how that transformed into a role putting on some of the most interesting and exciting events in coffee. It was also a little strange that we recorded this episode during the current global pandemic because the Barista League puts on events, which necessitate people gathering in places which we currently can't do. But just last week, the Barista League announced that they would move to a digital competition. Angela has more details on just how that'll work, but this also shows the power of their organization's ability to adapt and respond to the needs of a community in real time. Here's Angela. My name is Angela Ferrara. Um, I'm living in Baltimore, Maryland right now, and I'm the communications director for the Barista League. I want to talk a little bit about your background, but just to give a sense of what the Barista League is, can you talk a little bit about that organization? Absolutely. Um, The Barista League is an international coffee competition, um, but 
More than that, it's basically just an excuse to get a bunch of coffee people together in one room to (laughs) (laughs) hang out and uh, drink some delicious coffee. Um, Stephen Maloney, my boss and the founder of the Barista League, started hosting events in 2015. Um, And since then, they've just been getting uh, bigger and more expansive across the globe. I got to very luckily participate in a Barista League event in 2019, um, where we did like a family feud situation, which was absolutely delightful. So thank you for having (laughs) me on that. Of course. Thanks for joining in. It was delightful. Um, So Angela, how did you get into coffee? What were your first experiences with coffee growing up? Um, Growing up, I mean, my parents drink coffee every single morning. Um, So I feel like coffee was just a given on any given day in my house. Um, I don't really remember my first time drinking coffee, although I have lots of memories of like drinking coffee at family gatherings and uh, things like that as I was growing up, like uh, an older kid to an adolescent age. Um, and then the first coffee job that I had was, um, a part-time job when I was going to art school. At what point did it become more than a job or at what point were you like, oh, this is the thing I want to do at least for a little bit? Um, I mean, I, I think I immediately loved the first coffee job that I had. Um, it was in a sort of adorable second wave cafe in my college town and, um, it had a full service kitchen. And so I was doing all sorts of things. I was, uh, bringing people up, making espresso drinks, running food, uh, pouring draft beers, making smoothies, like the whole, the whole deal. (laughs) Um, and I sort of loved just the hustle of like working Saturday and Sunday brunch service. And I think that was when I realized that it could be that hospitality could be a career for me. Um, And it wasn't until I moved home from college and um, I, well, I briefly worked at a cafe near home um, and it was not a great experience. And I convinced myself that maybe I was not cut out to work in coffee. Um, And instead I started working in cheese (laughs) at a specialty cheese shop. Uh, which was an amazing experience. I love cheese so much. Um, And then somehow about six months later, ended up working at a specialty coffee shop. And when I got that first job in specialty coffee, uh, people at that coffee shop just took the coffee so seriously, like uh, absolutely never milk in your coffee. And it was the first time that I realized that coffee could have discernible flavors other than just coffee itself. Um, And I kind of haven't looked back since then. How long ago was that? Um, That was in 2014. Oh, that's awesome. I love like, I think I I love hearing about people's first jobs just because I think that there's, especially when it's just like a place that does it all like smoothies and food and all of that. Like there is something really beautiful about like a hustle that, I don't think that a lot of jobs really offer. And there's something really gratifying about being able to like knock out a really big, like busy service and being like, yeah, I crushed that. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. Um, especially when you have a good team and you can really get in the flow of 
getting everything done and all of those moving parts come together to deliver a good service. It's a good feeling. Um, so I don't a hundred percent know your story about like how you got into the barista league, but I know that you competed in the barista league before you started working for them. So can you tell me a little bit about like what, uh, like what it was to like compete and why you decided to do all that? Uh, absolutely. So, um, the story of how I competed is sort of a, a funny one that now seems like a huge turning point in my life and in my career. Um, but then it just seemed like no big deal. Um, my partner, Cassie, found the Barista League's Instagram. It was when they were uh, doing the first promo for their USA tour. Um, and she was like, wow, this looks really cool. Uh, this European coffee competition, it's coming to the States for the first time. And uh, one of the stops is in Kansas City. And Cassie's parents live in Kansas City. Um, so we thought why not sign up for this uh, coffee competition that seems pretty low key and make sort of a family visit out of the whole thing. Um, And I just was like, yeah, that sounds like a good time. I have never done any sort of coffee competition before, (laughs) Um, but sort of just blindly signed, signed myself up with her or rather she signed us up (laughs) and um, it was all a really great time. Uh, We, took a bunch of silly team photos and went to Kansas city and competed and weirdly enough, ended up winning. What was Um, your team name? Our team name was the timeliners. Why? (laughs) Well, choosing the team name was literally the hardest part of the whole competition. (laughs) (laughs) We, we talked like we signed up and we, took all these photos and all of that was easy. And then we talked about what we were going to be called for days and days and days and just kept sort of politely declining the other person's suggestions. (laughs) Um, That's true partnership, politely declining. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the name of the timeliners comes from us being very like, uh, corny and lovey and sort of doing this project where we mapped out the beginning of our relationship uh, and the transition of us being friends to realizing that we both had a crush on each other and then eventually going on a date. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, just for people who maybe haven't been to a barista league competition, can you talk about the one that you were at and the events that you had to do? Um. Yeah. So the one I competed in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in Kansas City, well, in all of the competitions, there are three rounds. Uh, the first round is barista skills. The second round is sensory skills. And then the third round is uh, the mystery round. So um, in Kansas City, we had to, in the first round, we had to make uh, – four espresso drinks. I think it was two single espressos and two um, alternative milk cappuccinos. Um, And then serve them to a panel of judges and give tasting notes and tactile notes. Um, But you could only give one tasting note and one tactile note. So it had to be the most dominant 
flavor or tactile call. Um, the second round was the sensory round. We had to taste five uh, flavored infusions, and all of the flavors are things found on the SCA flavor wheel, um, but they were colored rainbow colors, so that didn't necessarily line up with the flavor itself to kind of be a little misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the mystery round in Kansas City was in practice time dialing in a cup of drip coffee that we brewed on the pour steady. Um, and then during the competition, we basically just pressed start on the pour steady. The machine brews the coffee, and then there was a giant cupping um, that was blind, and everybody there, um, all the competitors and all of the judges, got to vote on whose cup was their favorite. That's yeah. That's that's. There's a lot happening there. <laughs> yeah, this is also um, like punctuated with like music and people and like l- just loudness, right? Oh yeah. So I mean, the whole the whole experience is sort of um, chaotic in the best way possible. I mean, it was really good for me because I really hate doing things that put me in the spotlight. Um, anytime somebody's looking at only me, I panic, um, (laughs) which made this a good competition because, um, Cassie is more comfortable being in the spotlight and could do the things that required, uh, those strengths. And I could sort of sit back in, uh, my comfort zone and just brew the coffee and do, uh, do what felt right to me. But the whole, uh, the whole stage is sort of set up so that, there is a party happening all around you. So there's like no, nowhere that people that are just there as attendees can't be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everybody is just kind of uh, drinking beers and partying and um, doing their own thing, hanging out uh, there. You can talk to the judges at any time as a competitor, like you could just chat with them. There's no rules that sort of like divide anybody. Um, that's like one of the things I think that makes, uh, Breeze League events so exciting. Um, and which we'll come back to, but I want to talk again, um, about the specific event that you were at because it was like a whole, it was a whole tour and then there were four stops and there were winners at each one. And then there was an overall winner. Right. And I think were you folks the overall winner too, right? We were. Yeah. So how did that work? Um, so there were four stops. It was, um, Portland, Oregon, Kansas city, Missouri, Greenville, South Carolina, and Philadelphia. And um, there were different judges at each location, but the sort of um, the replacement for like a larger judge calibration was that um, each set of judges was just calibrated. Like each person is calibrated to themselves across all the people that they judge. Um, so as long as they're judging everybody fairly at any given time, um, the scores just cross over. Um, and so when we competed in Kansas city, we were only the second stop and we, when we won, we had to take a picture with this huge, uh, plane ticket that was like, we could be going on the ally coffee champs trip but we didn't know because we weren't sure if we were the overall winners or not um and 
then we had to wait like another week and a half, I think, to for them to get to Philadelphia and to find out that we were the overall winners. Um, so in Philadelphia, there was a big live stream. Like we were, everybody that had won previously was projected onto a wall, like on FaceTime. <laughs> and um, like we found out live that we had won and that then we were going to Columbia, which was a crazy experience. <laughs> That's amazing. It's also really funny to think that you have to pose with this like big check, like <laughs> publishers clearinghouse style almost, but like you don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're like, just in case, just, just to- we're just going to take this photo just in case. And I was thinking like, there's no way we're going to Columbia. That's incredible. So how was, I mean, you already said that it was uh, crazy. Like how was your trip to Columbia? Oh, it was, Amazing. I, when, when we found out that we won, I didn't have a passport. I've never, I had never had a passport in my life um, up until that point. So we found out that we won and the trip was about three weeks later. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, we luckily were living in Washington, DC at the time, which is a very easy place to be able to go right to right to locations to get those items. So we were able to go right into the passport agency and rush a passport. Um, But that was pretty insane. So except for like a trip to Canada as a child, my trip to Colombian origin was my first time out of the States. Um, The trip itself was magical. and a little stressful and anxiety inducing for someone like me that has just a lot of anxiety in my everyday life. But it was amazing. We went to, uh, I think, three or four different farms while we were there, maybe four, um, in different regions of Colombia. And we also spent some days in Bogota. Um, yeah, it was all amazing. And I got to meet a bunch of lovely people and spend a bunch more time with Steve Maloney. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about you, you mentioned something at the beginning that I've been thinking kind of throughout my head as you've been talking is that this competition in a way kind of really was a turning point in your life. So at what point did things kind of start? Maybe you and Steven started talking or how did that process go of like, oh, there's Like there's something here for you that's, that's going to be transformative. Um, I think it was maybe a few days into the Columbia trip. I was just chatting with Steve. Um, and he mentioned that the person who had been doing his social media, um, was leaving to just do a regular coffee job stuff. And, um, that there was going to be an opening and I had never done any sort of social media management at that point in time. Um, but I was really intrigued by the whole competition and his ideas on about what the coffee industry should look like moving forward and what coffee competitions should look like moving forward. And I 
I was just like, this would be a really cool thing to do. And we pretty much had an interview just in Colombia, a very casual <laughs> conversation style interview. Um, and when I got home, I was like looking over a part-time uh, job description from him and started working a few weeks later. What was that job initially and has that changed over over the months uh, since you've started? Yes. Um, so when I first started working at the Barista League, it was one or two days a week and I was only uh, managing social media. So um, just posting on Instagram and Facebook, essentially. Um, I think a little bit of the beginnings of our blog, Colorful Conversations, happened during that point in time too. Um, but it was really just the social media side. Um, and over the months, so that was like October of 2018. And then between them and then and last July, I sort of kept increasing my barista league hours and decreasing my barista hours, um, taking on a little bit more responsibility um, and then in July of 2019, I left my barista position altogether and went on full-time at the Barista League. Um, and now what I do is uh, a lot more expansive. Uh, I still handle all the social media things and blog posts, um, but I also am the primary contact for all of our partners. So the um, the competition is supported by a bunch of really amazing partners and I handle all the communications um, with them and I also handle all the communications between everyone who's involved in all of our events so um, you you may have gotten some emails from me during that Boston party (laughs) Um, but that's that's usually my um, what I'm up to lots of emails lots of chatting about um, how to better communicate our message basically. Um, I mentioned this when I emailed you uh, for this interview and I'm always really selfish when it comes to people who have like non-traditional coffee jobs, just cause I feel like I, I occupy that space as well. Um, so what has it been like kind of like being part of the coffee industry still in this very concrete way, but at the same time doing something that's totally different and unique from what most people are doing? Um, it's weird. And I also love it. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a really big transition for me. I actually wrote a a piece about this for the blog that I'll be posting in the next few days. But it was really weird going from working full-time behind the bar, like interacting with hundreds of customers a day, to moving to this job full-time, which I work remotely 100% of the time, I mean, outside of actual physical events, which happen maybe five times throughout the year. Um, And my closest coworker is like 4,000 miles away. Um, That felt really strange at first. And like on some days it still does. But I think that the biggest transition for me in that was realizing that for a while my scope of the coffee industry was so limited. Um, like it was 
the customers right in front of me, the people that I interacted with every day, my coworkers. And then like a few times a year, it got a little bit bigger when I would go to like US Coffee Champs events. Um, But then suddenly working for the Barista League, it got so much bigger uh, as I try to connect to the whole global coffee community. (laughs) No, that's a really interesting point because I think that the same thing kind of happened to me. I feel like when I focused more on writing is that I felt like I had such a, like a clued in perspective on the coffee world working, you know, in customer service, working in front of people, serving hundreds of drinks. And then when I started writing more, I was like, Oh, there's so much that I haven't even seen. Um, And it's really interesting to kind of have to like almost a step away from people to see a bigger picture is a really weird shift. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, yeah, it was strange feeling like you're stepping away from that physical interaction, but somehow becoming more connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's talk about the Barista League kind of in general, which we've obviously talked a fair amount about. um, But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of like the values of the Barista League, because I feel like it's it's obviously so much fun and such a great event to be at. But there are a lot of like really, really specific values that you folks do a really good job of executing on. Well, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, we... So we have like three core values that we talk about all the time, which is um, an actual tangible focus on community, um, accessibility, and sustainability. Um, Every time we plan a new concept or a new take on an old concept, we always check in to make sure that that concept actually fulfills those core values. Um, it's really easy to be planning an event and get really excited about something that you want to do. Um, but then taking a step back and realizing that, wait, does this actually fulfill our goals? And if it doesn't, we don't do it. (laughs) How did this start? Um, maybe this is you telling a little bit of, of Steven's story, but I imagine Mm -hmm. that that's part of your job too. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, Steve is the two-time Swedish barista champion, (laughs) and I think he also comes from a background of event planning, and I think that I I love traditional barista competition. Um, I have been involved in it in for a lot of years, um, judging and supporting competitors and all sorts of things. Um, but I think that it's, it can breed a lot of disappointment for people who are spending a lot of money and spending a lot of time. And, um, I think that it's always a really worthwhile thing to do. I think it improves skills so much and it connects people in its own right. Um, but I think Steve walked away from his, uh, time at Worlds for maybe the second time, just feeling like he spent so much time feeling so stressed and like, why, why do all of the events that our industry gather for center around competition and stress and, uh, times when people aren't even 
aren't relaxed enough to be themselves or talk to people or really connect. That's really cool because I know that I've competed before and I'm like, anytime I've been there, I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, I can't do anything like normal, like a normal person. Um, which is really great because the Barista League has such a, a different feel like we were talking about before. Um, I wonder, like, I know that we talked a little bit about, like, revisiting your your values and goals. How does that look tangibly? Like, when you plan an event, like, how do you think about the goals that you have and how those are going to look in real, like, in a real situation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the most helpful things that we do is um, – that in our organization, we've kind of redefined the word stakeholders. So um, the way I've heard that word used uh, more broadly is the people who have actually invested money in an event or anything, an object even. Um, But we view stakeholders as all people who the event will have an effect on. So, Um, the competitors, anyone who attends, um, are, our partners who are supporting us, um, the local community, um, anyone who's volunteering for us or, uh, donating their time by judging or, um, our photographers. And I think that that helps put those things in perspective a lot for us, um, just taking a step back and thinking like, okay, we have a really cool prize for whoever comes in first, whoever wins the whole competition. Um, but what, what kind of time is everybody else having? Um, is this fun? Is this a fun competition to participate in? Even if you don't win, um, is this a fun event to attend? Is it a fun event to have a responsibility at? Um, how, how do we make everyone who's involved more comfortable? How do we make the experience more accessible to them? Um, how do we make sure that everybody walking in the door actually feels welcome? And it's not just the people who win the competition who end up feeling like they had a good time. One thing that kind of endeared me to the barista league um, really early on is I was talking to a photographer who was shooting for you folks. And they mentioned that they were like being paid a fair amount, (laughs) Um, which is a freelancer is a huge deal. Um, I can't, I can't tell you how many times um, in my career that I'm like, just because we're coffee folks doesn't mean that we should be paid less for our freelance work. Um, so it's really cool to hear you folks talk about that as like part of it's part, it's like part and parcel with the entire project. It isn't just about like the competitions about the people surrounding the competition. It's about the way that you talk to others who are supporting the competition. Um, it feels like a very holistic approach to an event, um, which is really cool. Um, so kind of with that in mind, like how much planning and forethought goes into an event? Like, what does it look like to say like, from day one of like, this is the event we want to do today. I don't know, six months from now, this is the event we're currently doing. Like this is today. Um, That's a big question. I realize that. (laughs) It is, uh, but I will try my best to (laughs) to answer it. Um, 
typically the way our planning goes is we know that any given, we usually do a year of planning at a time and any, uh, any given year we'll have maybe three to four official barista league competitions. So that competition with three rounds and the coffee party and everything. Um, and then the additional events that we do are usually, um, corresponding with the big trade shows. Um, so Expo, World of Coffee, and then this year we were doing a party for uh, mice as well. Um, and then for the Barista League competitions, the biggest question mark, because they all have the same concept, is usually where are we going? Because we pop up in a lot of different places all over the world. Um, and that is a huge a huge question mark because um, we very rarely do them in the, in our own coffee communities. So we are going, we're trying to reach out to the community and see like where would be fun to host, host them. um, What communities want them? What communities think it would be a good time? um, If we could help facilitate sort of reigniting a coffee community by popping up in one of those places, um, that's always a plus for us. Uh, But also just like if we know of a location that is a really cool city that has an already booming coffee community, that will probably be a really fun party to be at. So um, those choices are usually a mixture of... um, those two, those two types of cities that we'll go to. Um, besides that, we just usually always make sure that the cities that we're going to are very easily accessible um, to travel to. So um, should have an airport close by an international airport, um, should have public transportation. Um, and then the trade show parties, those are where we sort of get to have just a lot of fun trying out crazy new concepts that we have been talking about for a while. Um, during our stop in Zagreb last year, which was our second competition of 2019, um, it was the first competition that I was ever at as an employee. Um, we were all just hanging out, maybe drinking wine somewhere. And I, we were talking about the trade shows in 2020. And I thought like, wouldn't it be a fun concept sort of riffing off this game show concept that we did in Boston to do a version of the newlywed game called the Brulywed game. And I'm so um, sad that (laughs) this isn't happening. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we are too. I, I hope that that concept could reappear somewhere in the future because um, I think it'll be a ton of fun uh, when it when it finally happens. Um, but yeah, and then from, from then on, like the ideas sort of just sprout when they naturally happen, when we all happen to be talking or one of us gets an idea. Um, and then the months the months leading up to the event are really where the nitty gritty of the planning 
happens. So um, we come up with a concept and then Steve with his amazing background in event planning can sort of pick it apart and figure out all the things that we'll need and figure out the production and how to make the thing happen. That's really cool. Um, I didn't realize that Steven had, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but I didn't realize that Steve had a background in event planning, which makes sense because the events are so well produced. They feel like one cohesive thing. Um, Going back to something that you were talking about earlier, um, I know that you folks had had planned, as you were saying, that Brulee Wed game, um, but then you've had to shift and kind of rethink your priorities. So, like, what does that mean for you folks during this global pandemic, who put on events for people to start thinking, like, wh- what what does a shift for you look like? Um, so, we are feeling optimistic. Fingers crossed that our events later in the year will still happen. Um, the trade shows. A few of them just got postponed, and so we will still be hosting the parties that we had originally planned to, um, if all goes well and um, things start to look up. (laughs) Um, As far as what we're doing in the meantime, I think we all took about a day and we're feeling a little overwhelmed by just that simple fact of, like, what are we going to do if people can't all be in a room together, which right now they can't. Um, And then we decided to move forward with a concept uh, that we're actually launching tomorrow. uh, That is the Barista League Online. Yay. Tell me more (laughs) about that. Um, So it will be the same concept of three rounds, only all of the, all the things that, people will need for the competition will be mailed right to their door. Um, and you could compete alone right in your own home. Um, and I think we're all super excited and a bit anxious about a totally, a pretty totally new concept. (laughs) Um, but we were just so, uh, it was like a sad moment when we realized that like we couldn't do the thing that we love to do. And we thought, why not think on our feet and try to do something different that can still give people some of that joy of getting together for a coffee event just from afar. Yeah, there's still a very much like collective feeling of like, this is the thing that we're all doing together, even though we're not in the same place. Exactly. Um, so usually... Uh, registration for the barista league events works it just happens online um it's on a first come first serve basis and you and your partner sign up um on our website and then registration is open until the 12 team spots are filled up and those are our competitors um but the online version of the barista league is going to work a little different um in that we are having people submit a video of them making coffee. Um, And at the end of about a three-week submission period, we're going to have a a selection committee watch all of the videos and choose uh, the eight competitors that will be competing. That's so exciting. I'm thrilled that you folks were able to just totally think, like, we want to do this thing this is our restriction. How do we still make the thing happen? Um, it's kind of incredible. 
<laughs> Thank you. I'm pretty excited to watch all of the, the coffee videos. I hope that people are pumped about it and lots of people um, submit videos of them brewing coffee because uh, we can take submissions from all over the world. Usually there's at least a little bit of a barrier of when we choose a city. Like if it's a U.S. city, obviously people in Europe or Asia aren't going to be able to just fly to the U.S. city um, to participate in the event, which is why we try to make the locations pretty diverse throughout the year. Um, but it is pretty exciting that anyone in the world can submit a coffee video. And I think that uh, we'll get to see a lot of really interesting uh, video submissions and lots of diversity in all, all forms, like experience and everything. How do I find out more information about what the Barista League is doing? Ooh, um, you could either go to our Instagram, which is pretty active. Um, it's at the Barista League or um, right to our website. It's uh, thebaristaleague.com. Cool. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about the Barista League. Thank you, Ashley. Boss Barista is made by me, Ashley Rodriguez, in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading design studio, editorial platform, and podcast examining all the ways we look at the things that we eat and drink. You can check out more at goodbeerhunting.com. Seriously, their stories are incredible. My favorite series right now is the Humanity and Hospitality series that they've been running for the past couple of months, examining different ways that we look at people in the service industry. Special thanks to Jesse Raub and Jordan Stalling. Also special thanks to our music contributors, the band Lost in the Sun. You've made this podcast sound incredible. I'm just looking for a band.